Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. So this is a teaching, not a preach, more of a teach, on the institution of the sacrament of water baptism. It's going to be a... And you're going to see between this message and what happens downstairs, we're going to blend together some ancient concepts of baptism. And some of these concepts actually predate Christianity. I'm also going to highlight some of the liturgy that we'll be talking about and actually you'll see downstairs. And so first let me cover what are some of the characteristics of baptism. And then we're going to get into some other things in a little, little while about the symbolism of baptism. So first, just a brief history. Baptism is introduced first in the New Testament by John the Baptist. Now you know why John got his name, right? But listen, the interesting thing to know is the Jews actually used baptism in water as a ritual for Gentiles who were coming into the synagogue system. And in the Six Days War in the 1960s, uh, there was access given for the very first time to some um, archaeological dig areas within the city of Jerusalem. And one of the things they began to find in, this is in the 1960s now, is that there were large tanks, or as it were, things that looked like they held a lot of water in some of the synagogues they un, un, undug. And w- which means the Jews used baptistries. They had places of water where they would dunk people. And a lot of people say, well, what did the Jews use that for? And it was for this conversion of Gentiles into Judaism. So um, that, of course, occurred in the years before Jesus had even started his earthly ministry. But the main thing is this. It was understood that baptism is a sign of repentance. Baptism is a sign of repentance. If we could have that slide up there, that'd be great. Thank you. Okay. John the Baptist shows up seemingly on his own initiative, not under any Israelite authorities. He was preaching repentance and confession of sins. Listen, this is very important. Because he was baptizing Jews as a sign of repentance. This had never been done in all of Israel's history that a Jew would submit to being baptized. That's something you would do for Gentiles. But now at this place in their history, and partly because of the ministry of John the Baptist, the Jews had begun to realize their own sin and their own need for God. And so it created a movement of penitence and searching for God as it says in the scriptures, that Jesus came on the scene in the fullness of time. And that's absolutely what was going on at the time. They were beginning to understand how far they had fallen from God, and they were repenting, and Jews getting baptized, which was unheard of, because when you are born a Jew, you already are a Jew. You don't need to be baptized to become a Jew. You understand? So it was only Gentiles at that time that were getting. So this was unprecedented to see Jewish people responding to this call by John the Baptist to get baptized. He was suggesting that even the quote-unquote chosen people still needed to be cleansed. He was suggesting that indeed the people needed a revival by getting 
baptized. So first, let me just do a precursor to our main reading. I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 3. And this is the scene where John shows up. Chapter 3, verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions around the Jordan. These were all Jewish people, by the way were going out to him, John the Baptist. They were being baptized by John in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. But when the, he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming to his baptism, he said to them, oh, welcome, guys. Glad you're here. No, he says, you brutal vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, as only John Baptist could say. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't presume to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones, raise up children for Abraham. And now, he says threateningly, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So says John. Now, by the way, you can't get that reading just the black and white text. I had to embellish that a little bit. All right. So then John says this. He closes his little message there saying, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who comes after me, which is his cousin Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. So before Jesus even started his earthly ministry, John was indeed instituting a baptism. It was a sign of true inward repentance. Hence, his extreme and bold anger when the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to get in on the action. See, John the Baptist knew this. He was making clear. Baptism is a sign of repentance, and he meant true repentance. No surface act here. And so John was calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees for their hypocrisy, because he knew their heart. Okay, so the next important characteristic of baptism is this. Next slide, please. Baptism is a sign of faith, or in other words, it's a sign that you are believing. Someone gets baptized as an outward sign that they have faith inwardly, that they believe. Unfortunately, we don't have a gauge or a meter that measures how much faith someone has. However, in our brief time today, I want to be able to demonstrate the New Testament writings make it very clear there's a close relationship between getting baptized and believing in Jesus. Let me give you a few proof texts of this. But basically it's saying, if you believe in Jesus, you should be water baptized. If you don't believe in Jesus, don't get water baptized. That's the connection. Let me give a couple examples. Matthew 28, the, the great commission given by Jesus. He said, go therefore make disciples, that is, believers in Jesus, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then in Mark's rendering of the great commission, Mark captures this quote. In Mark 16, 15, and Jesus said to them, go into the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, and whoever believes and is baptized, there they are, they're paired together, 
will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. There are other Bible passages where it appears the disciples got this. They knew if someone believes in Jesus, they would get baptized. So Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Luke wrote this in his narrative of the book of Acts. So those who received his word, that is Peter's preached word, there were added that day about three received his word, they were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, further, if we read in the book of Acts in chapter 8, it says this in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, he proclaimed Christ to them, and when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So you see this relationship here? I'm not pulling one over on you guys. I hope you know that in the New Testament church, there was a close relationship. Furthermore, listen, there was no test period. There was no probation required that if you believed in Jesus, oh, you can't get baptized yet. We got to get you uh, sorted out first. Now, by about the fourth century, they had an institutionalized baptism so that if you became a convert to Christ, you had to go to catechism classes for three years of study before you could be baptized. No such thing in the New Testament. And even here at New Covenant, you have to go to my class in order to be baptized here at New Covenant. But it's only an hour. It's not three years. Okay, but in the New Testament, there's solid evidence, this, that if there was any evidence of somebody having faith, they got baptized. And so my last example about this is from Acts chapter 8. Some of you know this, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. He's trucking along in his chariot. He's reading Isaiah 53. And Philip just happens to be there to answer the eunuch's questions about this passage. So Philip opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And then when they're going down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch says, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And then some of the later manuscripts include this next verse, 37. So Philip said, well, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And he replied, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water. Do you get the quantity here? See? And Philip and the eunuch got into the water, and he baptized him. Well, the passage doesn't say, uh, we don't see it in the script there somewhere, that you have to be baptized. But somehow Mr. Eunuch knew to ask for baptism. And Philip must have seen evidence of faith in this guy because he tested him and said, if you believe. And he said, I do believe. As you'll see, we're going to do the same thing in our baptism downstairs. We will ask the candidates getting baptized a couple simple questions and uh, just to make sure that they understand what they're doing and they can actually testify publicly that they believe in Jesus. So here's some other things. That passage, I love that passage there because it actually connotes, did I use that big word there? Sorry. It, it helps us to think about 
and to know there is a large quantity of water. Well, why is that important? They didn't have a sprinkling ceremony. They didn't just pour a skin of water over the Baptist's head. But it says they went into. This leads to my next characteristic of baptism, which is this one. Baptism means immerse. The reason we make this distinction is because there's a problem with translation and with tradition. Why do we have the word baptism in our English translations if, in fact, we could just put in there the word immerse or to dip? Why do we have to use the word baptism? Because then in all of our minds, when we think of baptism, you think of all kinds of things. You think of babies in long white robes with the water being sprinkled on their heads, something like that. But the truth is, if you speak Greek, you don't understand what baptism means except one thing, because it's what the word means in Greek. It means immerse. The word baptism, baptismo, or bapto, in the Greek language. It's what a Greek housewife does when she dips the dishes in the sink. She baptizes her dishes. Or this one. If there's a, 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 a Greek ship out on the ocean and it begins to sink, it gets baptized in the ocean. When it sinks, it becomes overwhelmed with water. That's what the word means in Greek. And so for Greek Orthodox, they don't say, would you like to come to my child's baptism ceremony, which maybe they say in English. But in Greek, what they're saying, would you come to my son's immersion service? Now, I got invited to one of these, and I was shocked to find out that they do baptism by immersion of babies. Really? Yes. And the Greeks do everything three times. All the Orthodox churches do everything Trinitarian three times. So they dunk that baby under the water three times. And with all that squalling and crying and everything else like that, it's part of the ritual that's been going on since 400 AD, this same ritual. So we have to understand traditions formed where they began to baptize infants. But for sure, if you were a Greek speaker, you always only did immersion for baptism. And the symbolism of it is, is very powerful. So I'm going to see if we can go to our text in Romans chapter 6, if you want to turn there. And I'm going to read starting at verse 1. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died 
has been set free from sin. So out of that little passage there, I'm going to extract some other symbols of baptism. And the first one is this. Baptism symbolizes death. That's important. That's the first point that Paul makes there. So in our baptisms, we're having a funeral. So downstairs, we're going to bury at least four people, maybe more. We're going to have some funerals downstairs. And that's because we're taking the old self there, and we're going to crucify and bury the old self. We're going to be ceremonially killing off that part of us that is without Christ. And baptism by immersion really is a great picture of being not just put under water, but being buried, as in put under the ground as dead. So we say we place dead people under the ground, we bury them, we do the same with those who are crucifying the old self. So we put them under the water. Sometimes we even say this. When we baptize people, sometimes we'll say, down with the old man and up with the new, which gets us to our next symbol that we're talking about here. And that is this. There is a symbolism in baptism of resurrection. Hallelujah. We don't just leave you under the water, <laughs> but we actually let you get up from the water. Because verse 4 ends with this, as Christ was raised from the dead, we too get to walk in newness of life. So baptism really symbolizes also we're raised as new creations in Christ. It's also speaking of the day when we will, like Christ, we will one day be physically resurrected from the dead. And that symbolism is what happens in that, in that baptism water tank. So other symbolism here, I'm moving quickly now, so we'll get downstairs. Baptism symbolizes union. When we're baptized, per verse, if you go to look at verse 5, it says twice in there that we're united with Christ. In many regards, our baptism is our marriage to Jesus. We're getting married to Jesus. That's appropriate to be united to him that way. We are the bride of Christ, are we not? But we as guys, it's kind of hard for us to figure out what that feels like being married to Jesus, you know. Now, women, it's a little bit easier for them. So how many of you were raised um, being trained up by nuns? Any of you? I was one of them, yes. And maybe did you notice that Sister Ursulina had on her ring finger a gold ring? Did you know that? And the reason she wore that ring on her finger was symbolic that she was married to Jesus, which is a wonderful image, really is. But in baptism, you're being united to Jesus. In many regards, you're being married to him, so much so that in some churches, when they get baptized, they wear white robes. I think we should have wedding gowns when we get baptized, because it's our wedding day to Jesus. It's when you say, I do, to Jesus Christ when you get baptized. It's a ceremony of that union that occurs. And my last one here is then baptism symbolizes identification. In Romans 6, Paul says that the experience of baptism is like being buried 
with Christ in death and being raised with him in newness of life. We're identifying with Jesus' death and with his resurrection. Our old self dies just like Jesus died on the cross. So does our old self. So that the new you rises as Jesus rose from the grave. So we identify with the work of Christ in his death and then in his resurrection. But later on in this very same chapter, a couple paragraphs past this, Paul says, we were enslaved. He says, we were slaves to sin. Did you know what? We remain slaves. Oh, wait a minute. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm not a slave anymore. No, you didn't read it correctly. Because Paul says this very clearly, that as a result of our baptisms, we get a new identity as slaves of righteousness and slaves of God. You got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it could be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Right? All you, yeah, there are these guys. Only people who remember Bob Dylan remember that, right? But it's true. You are going to serve, so we are still slaves. But we're just choosing that now I'm not, I'm not serving the devil anymore. Now I'm serving the Lord Jesus. I'm a servant of righteousness. I'm a slave of God. Paul wrote this really clearly for the Corinthian church. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your new identity is this. You are the property of Jesus Christ. And so I think if we could, if it was possible, I would brand each one of the people who get baptized with the mark of the cross right on the butt. They would not soon forget that experience. I guarantee that. But see, here's the issue. Even branding on the butt is not even going to be sufficient because it's not the butt. It's the heart that needs to be branded for Jesus. That's right. The heart has to be branded for him. It's in your heart that you say, I do belong to him. My identity right here, right here in my heart of hearts is that I know I belong to him. I am not my own anymore, is what Paul tells us. So we get this new identity as part of our baptisms. And listen, you need to know this. Oh, I didn't, I didn't serve Satan before. You don't understand. This warfare that's going on right now, some of which we just prayed in church, it's not a warfare about land or ideologies. This is warfare for souls, and if these souls don't belong to Jesus, Satan wins. Oh, I'm not serving Satan. doesn't matter. If you don't believe in Jesus, Satan wins. Do you understand that? And in baptism, we said, Satan, you lose. In these people's lives, you just lost the battle. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that fact. Sorry, I said I wasn't going to preach. It happens, though, doesn't it? So listen, this is so very important for us to understand that, that we're doing warfare and this, in, this incident called, this ceremony, this sacrament called baptism is in my mind yet another skirmish in the battle for souls. 
And when there's a celebration that goes on. Listen, we're going to curse Satan. I'm going to spit in his face downstairs. Trust me. They do this in the Greek Orthodox Church now. For thousands of years, they've been doing it, right? They spit in Satan's face. Oh, they do. Because he lost and Jesus wins. Okay. My last point is this one. Baptism is more than just symbolic. Oh my goodness, look at our time. Listen, it's not more than it's more than symbolic because all right, maybe you don't need to be baptized to be saved because I know there are people who get saved and I know they're with Jesus in heaven, but they didn't get baptized. But there's something good that comes out of baptism. There's something wonderful that happens. Jesus said, first of all, make disciples and baptize them. So it's part of the Great Commission. So therefore, if you're a believer, you should be water baptized. It doesn't add to your salvation, but it does add other important things to your life. Do you understand that? For one thing, you're making an important witness to the world. And of course, you're surrounded by people who know you and love you. But you're witnessing to Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life. That's the first thing. The second thing is I believe this. I believe there is a grace that's imparted. That's why it's a sacrament. There is a grace that is imparted to these candidates when they get baptized. Grace that provides power to live a life, this kind of life that we're proclaiming. Those of you who are going to help me with the baptism, if you guys would go downstairs right now, that would be lovely. Okay, I'll see you down in a little bit. So maybe it's only water on the outside, but I believe there's power in baptism to change our hearts on the inside. And of course, if you didn't do this by faith, if you didn't have faith, you would just be getting wet. You would. But when we are baptized filled with faith, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to immerse us with his power when we get immersed in the water. So any other candidates who are going to get baptized, if you're ready, go ahead on down now. But I'm going to pray for all of us, along with the candidates. Lord, I pray for those who are getting baptized today, that they would take to heart, Lord, this event that's going on in their lives. I thank you, Lord, for the step of faith that they're taking. Bless them for it, God. Bless them big time, oh God, I pray. But Lord, I pray for us too who look back upon the promises we made when we were baptized. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that day when we were baptized, Lord. We renew that and today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.